Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, May 16th installment of the Silicon Insider, the only uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. My name is Mike Malone, and I'm here with special contributor Scott Budman, technology reporter for NBC Bay Area. Our producer is Jordan Henderson. Our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove. And our host, as always, is the Silicon Valley Business Journal. Okay, Scott, what a week for the economy. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We focus on the stock market, and I get it. That's the bellwether for a lot of people. It's where their money is, where their future is. Um, but it's really the economy that's been shaken up so much. Um, I, you know, what a time America is going through politically and economically right now. And again, what does the stock market like less than anything? Uncertainty. And we sure have a lot of that going forward. So I thought it was interesting when they when they realized the market realized that the Federal Reserve was going to come in hot and heavy. It uh, it dropped quickly, but then it stabilized again and then collapsed completely. So I think it was down eleven hundred points Thursday. Right. Have you have you checked this morning? Yeah, as of Friday, it was interesting. It it opened down. It was down about four hundred points. It came all the way back to you know positive. Then fell back about 250. So, you know, as we record uh, on Friday morning, it's still bouncing around a lot, which is fitting. If you think about this week, like you mentioned on Wednesday, the idea of 50 basis points somehow cheered the market and it went up a thousand points nearly, just a huge relief rally. Then on Thursday, somehow pessimism kicked in again. We dropped 1,100 points and Friday has been all over the place as again, the market deals with uncertainty. And in this time, it's not just uncertainty about, you know, tech stocks or uncertainty. It's uncertainty about the entire economy and right. where we go from here with, yes, strong wages, strong job numbers, but inflation and a slowing economy. And that comes together to really put a lot of people in, in you know, just they don't know what's going to happen next. And the Fed made a big move. Um, you know, I, I almost get the feeling the market was cheered because the Fed did something. And then they went, oh, wait a minute. They haven't, they haven't done 50 basis points in what, 30 years? I mean, this is bringing out the nukes. Yeah, because it was a big move because the economy demands something that shakes it up, I think. And that's what the Fed wants to do. And yeah, the 50 basis points was big. But I think that relief rally was because everyone expected even more, maybe 75 points. Um, and while you know, Fed Chair Jerome Powell said, okay, we're going to see more. Uh, he said, hey, we're going to keep it to about 50 basis points at a time, which for whatever reason, cheered everybody up. But then, like you said, the reality set in, we're really going to see interest rates climb for a while, which is how you try to get out of inflation Absolutely. historically. And there's really no other way historically to do that. And that has the stock market spooked. So, uh, you know, I'm still hearing talk Maybe not a recession this year, though we'll know in another quarter because that'll be two quarters of negative growth. But everyone seems to agree something's something bad's going to happen later this year or early next year. There's just no way around it. I mean, you know, you can say something bad has already happened. We've entered a period of inflation uh -huh. and you can ride that to an extent. I mean, part of the reason that we have inflation, we put a lot of stimulus money into the economy because of the pandemic. We also raised wages. I would say that's a positive thing, especially when job numbers are good. That's my bottom line. People are working. They're bringing right. home money. But inflation has outpaced, you know, the costs have outpaced those raises. 
And so that's how we get inflationary. Everything costs more than what we're making. And that's very negative. You can't look out to the future and say that's anything but people losing money and therefore having to cut back on things. And right. that slows down economic growth. And that's Thanks. what our future, I think, has. And it's a tax on the poor. Absolutely. And a little bit of the middle class. And as long as employment numbers are, are still growing, that's good. But the moment they stabilize, then all of a sudden it starts getting very, very painful. And you have to look no further than the Bay Area, where a lot of these companies are losing some of that stock value. They're losing some of their momentum. They're talking layoffs. And you're right. We have inflation and the looming specter of layoffs. And that scares a whole lot of people and absolutely understandably so. And yeah, if you're on the lower economic uh, spectrum, it's going to hit you even harder. The middle class is going to get hit. This is how it's been for forever. And, yeah. you know, the Federal Reserve stepping in to raise interest rates makes sense. But it also tells people, uh oh, whatever debt I'm carrying is going to yeah. cost that much more. Yeah. And, you know, Inflation's monetary policy. I mean, it's created by monetary policy, and you have to use monetary policy to do it. And they don't have many ways to do it right now: taxes, or you know, in uh, cutting back the money supply. And if they do that, any of those is going to be a painful process to, to drive this out of the system. Right. So it could be a long, cold winter this year. I agree. I mean, it's it's going to be touchy economically. You know, you can look and say, OK, at least the Federal Reserve, the Biden administration is working to do something about it. But like you yourself said, there are only so many things that can be done. And most of those things slow the economy. And yes. that's what we're likely in for, at least in the near term future. So tech stocks, they had a wild week, too. I mean, they were going, let's see, they went up a little bit and then went on a roller coaster ride on, was it on Wednesday? I mean, just all week long, they've been having a hell of a time. What's, I, what, you know, what, what's, what's your postmortem of the week on stocks, tech stocks? I think tech stocks are, are a bit unique because they are suffering from, call it the opening up, the reopening up of society. You know, for a couple of years while we were locked down in the pandemic, you could pretty much buy almost anything in tech, software, gaming, streaming, uh, you know, even the, the sort of niche things like Peloton you could buy because we were all so dependent on technology. As things open up and people start to go out, they're going to the movies again, they're actually exercising in gyms, all of these wonderful things that help stimulate the economy. But tech stocks are now uh, really getting hit hard. I mean, you saw Netflix taken out to the woodshed a couple of weeks ago. This week it was Spotify. Some of these prices are Whatever the opposite of nosebleed going up is, they're just falling down really, really quickly. I think it's and, called cratering. Cratering, good, okay. Yeah. And and it makes sense given that their short-term outlook is all of the sudden back where it was a couple of years ago because people are saying, ah, you know, I don't quite have to update my hardware at home as much. I'm going to go back to the office where they're going to give me a computer. And so we're going to see strength in tech, I think, overall. But some of these stock prices are just taking big, big hits. And that has really affected the market. You know, the NASDAQ on Thursday had something like its sixth worst, worst day in history. And that's saying something for a very volatile index. Yeah, that's saying for an exchange that was in the middle of the, of the dot-com bubble bursting. Yes. So, I mean, that really tells you something. Uh, I have to admit, I went out for, a, I had a luncheon meeting yesterday over a cup of coffee outdoors on a college campus. And I, I looked around and I thought, I don't have a phone. 
I'm actually looking up from a, a display and looking at trees and green lawns and students walking by and drinking a cup of coffee, talking to somebody whose face I can see. And I thought, man, I, re I, I didn't realize how much I missed this. I'm gonna start doing this a lot more often. Well, that's <laughs> gonna keep me from, you know, I may not have to upgrade my technology as much as I did in the last couple of years. Right. And I think that's multiplying out by a whole lot of people who are getting out and um, and a lot, you know, the, the people that are getting out first, I think, are young people. And yeah. so they're saying, ah, you know, work wants me back to the office. Well, in that case, I'm also going to go see my friends. I'm going to go to concerts. I'm going to go to movies. And we're starting to see, you know, and out to restaurants. We're seeing that sector pick up. I think in the latest job numbers, which, by the way, were pretty strong, the biggest sector to gain jobs was, um, you know, what they call entertainment and hospitality, because we're that's seeing surprising. restaurants and, and cafes hire people back. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's a wonderful sign. And perhaps that can keep, keep buoying up the economy, at least for a little while. At least for a little while, yes. Okay, now what's going on with ride sharing companies? Well, they're getting hit. And that's interesting, because well, we wouldn't do, they, they not got... be hit when they? Right. Yeah, you'd think. Um, I think this is showing the weakness of ride sharing companies as an industry, because we knew they were going to suffer a bit during the pandemic. Although to Uber's credit, for example, using the biggest one, uh, Uber Eats had a big couple of years because everybody was ordering in. But now Uber's ride sharing business took a hit. Lyft lost something like a third of its value over the last few days uh, because of its earning numbers. And people didn't come back and jump into strangers' cars. And maybe that tells us something about the gig economy, about ride sharing. Maybe it's a bit more niche than we thought. And that's bad news if you're investing in it um, yeah. or if you're depending on it for, you know, either a, a big chunk of your income or, or a side portion of your income. Well, I have to admit, I got caught uh, at rush hour a couple of days ago going up 280 in the middle of Silicon Valley. And the amount of traffic I hadn't seen in a long, long time. And, you know, all of a sudden Uber and Lyft started seeming, you know, seeming appealing again after having no use for it. You know, I would think demand would go up as traffic comes back. It may still, you know, traffic is a fairly new phenomenon in Silicon yeah. Valley. We're starting to see these big companies say, hey, come back to the office. And so people are hopping in their cars again. And you're right. It's been a while since we've said, oh, traffic, what a pain. Let's maybe ride share and, you know, I can do something in the back, talk on the phone, whatever. But um, that may make a comeback. And you're right. Earnings are lagging indicators of what happened in the last few months. But uh, boy, Uber and Lyft especially were, were hit really, really hard by investors who are losing confidence in that model. And I don't know how they get that back other than start to make a profit, which is long eluded those companies. Oh, private helicopters. We know that's or that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. that's what's next. Uh, E-commerce too got hammered. Yeah, same reason. I mean, we're, you know, go to a, a store, go to a mall. Um, but on the other hand, look, Michael, e-commerce is here to stay. Sure. Um, you know, the Spotify's of the world may have gotten a bit overinflated when it comes to their stock price. Sorry yeah. to say, investors, but come on. Um, hey, e-commerce, e-commerce. People don't, didn't realize, but e-commerce continued to grow right. in 2001. You know, everything looked like it was decimated, but overall, the industry actually grew. It has never stopped growing since it got started. Right. There are still businesses that are nascent and trying to get a foothold in the economy, but e-commerce is here and it's here to stay. 
regardless of the Amazon or Spotify stock price. Okay, so not surprising. On the other hand, the Starbucks, the Chipotle's, the Airbnbs of the world, they're having a good time. Yeah, they're back because people are willing to go out. They're willing to do some travel. You know, a lot of people tell me that Airbnb for them is sort of a stepping stone when it comes to travel. For some reason, they feel a little bit better going into um, an Airbnb home as opposed to jumping into the hotel scene or whatever if they're the traveling. Lobby and all that. And the busy yeah, and, yeah, and that's interesting. And, and perhaps some of that is psychological, but it, it is a good marketing strategy for Airbnb to say, hey, come out of your home and go into another home. Yeah, that put, we... a to- put a toe in the water of, of living out in the world again. Yes. Okay, well, that's understandable. Though. Okay, crypto, real quick. Governor Newsom, uh, he just he just signed an executive order to bring us bring California into the crypto world. Once again, California leading the way, which sometimes is to paradise, sometimes it's off a cliff. But California is going to follow El Salvador. <laughs> no, no, it's not going to follow El Salvador. We're not making crypto our currency. Our currency, right? Um, You know, and it's interesting, a few takes on this. For one thing, I'm going to disagree that California is leading the way. I think Governor Newsom is responding to Miami and saying Miami has led the way. I mean, not only are they actively recruiting crypto startups, but I believe the Miami mayor is taking his salary or at least a portion of it in cryptocurrency. Is he really? Yeah, which I tell the young people here at the station is a very, very bad idea. Um, (laughs) But hey, he's He's an adult. He can do what he wants. And it's a statement. And they're making a very strong pro-crypto statement in Miami. California is saying, wait a minute, we're supposed to be the leaders when it comes to new sexy technology. We don't want to be laggards. Let's put a, a, you know, a bit of a marker in the sand here and say, we're going to be friendly to these startups, but we're also going to try to put up some, I guess you could say, cautionary barriers for the young people that are just putting their money into crypto and watching it move up or down by like $3,000 a day, which is positively heart-stopping for an investment. Yeah. Well, when you said Miami, I thought, hmm, a place that's never been known for fly-by-night outfits, criminal enterprises, (laughs) et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Okay. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, Crypto is getting more and more legit. I mean, you know, the feds are looking at it. Everybody, it's, it's beginning to stabilize. It may not be as much fun, but it actually, you know, maybe something that, you know, the average household might want to look into. Right. And that's, and that's the funny thing. Yeah, it's not, it's right. still frothy in your terms. It is. I mean, look. The it, bubbles are settling down a little bit. A little bit. But look, on Thursday, when the stock market tanked, crypto went down thousands of dollars for a yeah. Bitcoin. Um, and again, if average households get involved, if the governors are getting involved, maybe it's not cool anymore, but maybe that makes it a slightly safer, more sensical play. And I don't know if people want that for crypto, but that seems to be the way it's going. Well, and I found it interesting just a week last week, remember, we talked about how the crypto companies are getting together and, and uh, lobbying the government to leave Russia alone in regards to crypto. Right. You know, we have a we have a, a virtue signaling governor here. You would think he might have read that and thought, let's wait a couple of weeks before we announce we're getting into the game. I don't know. I think he might be getting pressure from some of the Silicon Valley types who are saying, wait a minute, we're supposed to lead the way when it comes to new right. technologies. We're not supposed to sit and watch what happens across the country 
uh, to mayors who are throwing down the gauntlet saying, hey, techies, come out here. We're also seeing that in places like Austin, Texas. We're friendly to tech. We're going to charge less taxes. We're going to have cheaper housing. And by the way, we're really, really pro-crypto. And that's attracting a lot of people. Okay, well, I have another solution instead maybe of crypto. Lithium. <laughs> Did you read the announcement this week that they're looking now at the Salton Sea? Now, remember, Salton Sea was a mistake anyway. It was created by, you know, dams bursting and all of that. And it's become kind of synonymous with California with a gigantic trailer, trashy trailer camp in the desert next to a polluted lake that's shrinking. And yet they're looking at it and there's a tremendous amount of lithium in it. And they, they're working on a technology just came from Grove. I, I didn't see it either. But they think that they might be able to process enough lithium out of uh, uh, the Salton Sea to produce uh, meet all of the United States projected future demand and 40% of the world's demand. For lithium. Lithium, which is really interesting going into the EV world um, and, and batteries and everything else and not be dependent upon China. You know, China tried to really capture all the world's minerals. I mean, I was in Africa watching what they were doing there. They were buying up everything and cornering the market on a lot of stuff, including lithium. And now all of a sudden we're, we're starting to look here. And the way they do this is processing the water and not doing an open pit mine. So it's probably pretty you know, environmentally friendly. Well, look, if that's the legacy of the Salton Sea, so be it. Yeah. And, uh, you can start investing in lithium and let me know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be a bad one. Uh, okay, um, let's see. Uh, let's talk about Eric Schmidt for a moment. Uh, okay, we, we mentioned it last week, but Web3. Web3 is a, a new model for the internet, according to him. Quote, a new model for the internet where you, an individual can control your identity and when you don't have a centralized management, is very powerful. It's very seductive and it's very decentralized. And they're calling it Web3 because it's a new kind of internet service. It's looked upon as a way to, uh, you know, circumvent the big, the big tech monopolies on the internet. What do yeah, you think? Which, and, and that's where my skepticism comes in. You know, you can say, hey, decentralized, it's going to be on the blockchain and that opens things up. But really, every new technology sort of they say that, whether it's the metaverse or whatever, and it ends up being controlled by a few big companies. And right. then if you're, you know, Elon Musk, a few individuals uh, who have a whole lot of money to buy into these things. So I, we, always have a, we always have a little window where we're free. Right. You know, and so maybe we just keep inventing new internets and, and, and just play in that little margin right there, that little window of time when we could actually do what we want until the rich guys take it over again. And then we move on to the next one. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't been that long and you already have people wistfully remembering back when the internet was free. Um, and, you know, I would argue, hey, the internet is still a wonderful thing overall, but right. Uh, one of the criticisms that, that I come back to is that it's controlled by a very small number of companies and therefore a small, uh, pretty homogenized group of people. And that's not what the internet was meant to be. And if Web3 opens that up, my concern is that it opens it up only, like you say, for a small window until the big corporations come in and we see advertising and all that stuff. Um, and that feels inevitable, but maybe that's my 
cynicism, perhaps. That's my concern, given what I do for a living. But um, I'll believe that whole free, open thing when I see it for a long period of time. Yeah, well, history says your cynicism is justified. I mean, but I, I kind of like the idea. It's long been apparent to me, I, I even wrote a book about it with Bill David out, that you need to have control of your own data. Yes. That, you know, the idea that you can go buy a stick of gum somewhere and it ends up on 50 servers all the way to Mongolia, you know, the record of that transaction and where you were when you bought it is, is really concerning. And if there's another way that we can either technologically or legislatively or whatever, regain control of ourselves that this penumbra of information around us keeps getting tapped into for free by federal agencies, by corporations, by marketeers, you know, everybody else. And if we have, if we have some way to control it just a little more, I think that's a net benefit for everybody. Well, your timing is, is amazing. I mean, that is the zeitgeist of America right now, politically, right? Control over ourselves concerns that our privacy rights are going to be invaded given where we go and what we do. And this yep. is a time where a lot of people are saying, hey, we need more privacy. We need to be able to go places safely. We need control over what we do and ourselves. Um, and again, I'm skeptical that Web3 does that, but to somehow be able to take your foot off the gas when it comes to selling your data and, and being known for everything you do, um, that time is here. It really is. Okay, uh, we got a few minutes left. Let's talk about Sonny Balwani's trial. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. It's the same playbook that we saw in the Elizabeth Holmes trial. They've so far, the prosecution has been trying to tie Balwani both to the labs, where he was apparently very active, according to the prosecution. It's still the prosecution's case right now. We have not heard from his defense other than cross-examination, but they've also managed to tie Balwani to investors. And that's sort of the double whammy that they weren't even able to get with Elizabeth Holmes. And, um, you know, I've always questioned, I have no legal knowledge whatsoever, but just asking my lawyer friends, they say, well, you know, Balwani was dragged through the mud in the Holmes trial. They got her on things that he was obviously in the room for. Why isn't he cutting a deal? No answer for that. But so far, and granted, that's the prosecution's job, is so far to make it look hard for him. It'll be interesting to see what the defense says. But, um, you know, Theranos uh, was really a double whammy of a failed company. You had hundreds of millions of dollars, nearly a billion dollars invested that was lost. You also had, and, and by the way, that's not unique in Silicon Valley history. What is fairly unique is that we had these medical devices giving people misinformation about their health. And that's what's hard to forgive for a lot of people. And that's been coming up over and over again. And we haven't even gotten to the patients yet uh, in the Balwani trial. Yeah, but um, Holmes, Holmes skated on the information part. She did. She, got, she got did. Nailed on the financial part, which was interesting. Like, yeah, it way the jury. They weren't bothered. They must be, well, you said they were physically bothered by some of the testimony from patients. Yes. I mean, this is the worst thing you can imagine is being told wrong information about your health or a pregnancy or cancer. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and yet, that's one of the things that that surprised me and some of my lawyer friends about Balwani even going forward with the trial. When those jurors talked to the press after the trial, they said, well, yeah, we heard Holmes on the phone calls with investors, including Larry Ellison, uh, by the way, in the news for putting a billion dollars into Twitter. 
Yeah. Ellison. Um, but, uh, you know, we heard Holmes on those calls lying to investors. So, bam, we got her on those four counts. But when it comes to the patients, as disturbing as it was to hear that they got the wrong results, many of the jurors say, well, there seemed to be a buffer between Holmes and those patients. That buffer we're learning, according to the prosecution, was Sonny Balwani. So if they've got him on the patient charges and fraud and on the investor calls, this could be a rough trial for him. When's it going to end? Do you have any idea? No. (laughs) I I made the problem of thinking I'd have some free time over the four months that lasted four months with Elizabeth Holmes. I'm not speculating on Balwani. There's still a lot to go. uh, Because again, we're we're a little more than a month in. We're still hearing from the prosecution. And uh, you you know, the defense has got to come loaded. And the defense also had four months of the Elizabeth Holmes trial to go to school on. So they took a lot of notes. Uh, so you're covering it four days a week again? So it's on usually three days a week. And, okay. uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little less uh, in the courtroom now than I was with home. So I usually show up. If it's a big day, we stay. If not, we're on to something else. We'll see how long that goes. There's, I mean, I'm not going to candy coat this. There's a lot less interest in the Balwani trial than there was in the Holmes trial. Period. You know, I... A lot of my students over the years said, oh, I want to be a television reporter because it's so glamorous. And, I, and I'm looking at you now. You got all the equipment behind you and, you know, and see you on the news at night. And then I, I want to show them. I'd love to have a, a, a documentary of your of your four months on the Holmes trial, getting up at dawn in the dark in the winter. Yeah, that part of the <laughs> documentary. The side, that's the other side of the job. You know, when my daughter was young, my youngest, I brought her in for Take Your Daughter to Work Day. And she spent the whole day with me. And the last 15 seconds of those day, of that day, she saw me on television, on camera. And she was like, wow, the whole rest of the day was just boring. You're on the phone. You're trying to track people down. You're knocking on doors. I'm like, that's what a reporter does. And I happen to love that stuff. And she's like, well, goodness, that's, you know, that's eight hours of boredom for 15 seconds of fame. I'm like, that pretty much wraps up. (laughs) <laughs> how I pay the bill. There yeah. it is. There's my epitaph. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, it, it, was there any real good news this week? Um, uh, no, other than I think, you know, we saw the job numbers just come in. They remain strong. And right. that's what's really keeping us above water, I think. You know, the stock market is responding to uncertainty and, and that's out there. Um, you know, there's political back and forth right now that's causing a lot of problems. There's still the Ukraine situation. There's so much to be concerned about. Um, but at least for now, you know, we haven't seen a lot of layoffs. And, and I hate to say it, but especially with some of these tech valuations tumbling, yeah. that's often the next shoe to drop. So the fact that the job numbers are so far staying strong is a really, really good sign. And hopefully that will stick around. Um, but again, when valuations fall this far, this fast, um, you know, companies well, the, all the often The person have to- in the valley is nobody wants to be the first company to do a layoff. Right. You know, so it, it builds up and it builds up and everybody, all these CEOs are looking at each other and they're kind of elbowing to the back of the crowd. And then it's inevitable and boom, the layoffs come fast and furious when the dam breaks. Right. So, and that's what we're waiting. And we're going to have to, we're going to have to watch real closely the next few weeks when that happens, if it happens. Exactly. Okay, that's it for now, folks. You can find us on the Silicon Valley Business Journal homepage, as well as on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, LinkedIn, and of course, our YouTube page. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.